Welcome to episode 227 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, a comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny, intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. 
The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 227 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am great. I'm really excited because I went for a swim in our new pool today. An actual swim. The pool. Yeah, it's not fully finished still. They're waiting on, you know, how everything is all like back ordered. There's apparently some kind of control panel that's going to run everything, but the pump is working. So I am a, you know, it's it's clean. The pool is clean and sparkly. Is it a tropical oasis? It is fantastic. You know, we got the wrong color. We ordered a fiberglass pool because a friend of mine has one. Wait, what is a fiberglass pool? It's the coating of the pool. Like traditional pools are gunite or like plastered. And those coatings are really hard to maintain over time and they have to be redone a lot. Our old pool was from the 80s and it had just gotten, it was cracked. It was needing to be completely redone. It was a mess. It was harboring algae. Apparently it gets caught in the crevices of the plaster. But fiberglass is like a one piece. It, it like they build it and they bring it to you. They're like bring it on a truck. <laughs> it's like molded and it's really slick. The coating is like guaranteed to last for like, I don't know, a long time. So we actually got the wrong color. They sent the wrong one. I'm like, that's not the one we ordered. But I'm, it was such a happy mistake because I love the color we got. It's like a beautiful color. What color? Well, it looks like just the perfect tropical blue. It's just perfect. The one I had originally ordered was going to be a darker blue, and I'm glad that didn't come. I remember when we were putting in our pool growing up, and like the color is such a like such a question. Like, do you get the aqua? Do you get the ours was like a really really dark dark blue. Yes, yeah. See, I don't want it to be dark dark. Our last one was like a dark gray. Dark, dark. So the water looked like almost greenish, like a dark. It was really dark. And uh, the color of the plaster doesn't reflect the color that the pool is going to. I mean, it it determines the color the water is going to be, but it isn't the same, if that makes sense. Our pool shell is a light, light gray, but the water turns out to be this beautiful blue. Can you send me a picture? Sure. I absolutely can. It's a tiny little pool. We were going to get originally, I was like, I don't want a giant pool because that pool was so hard to keep, the big one that we took out. It was crazy and deep and full of algae and hard to, hard to work with. So I was like, I don't want a big pool. Maybe we'll just get a, a hot tub, like a giant hot tub, you know, built-in hot tub. And then as we started looking into that, and I'm like, well, you know, a small pool would be a similar kind of idea. So we're going to be able to heat it even in the winter because it's, it's little. Oh, and what I was going to tell you is the water is so warm because it's little. <laughs> it's still cooler than my body. I mean, it's been like 100 degrees here. And so the the air is really hot. And the water, the water is still cooler than body temperature. So it feels good to me. I like a warm pool, like I said. Have you ever had the recurring nightmare that I have about the pools? I, mean, I don't know. What is your, I don't know what it is. I feel like I might have told you it before. I don't remember. One of my recurring nightmares it's because it's from watching Free Willy growing up. 
And I always dream that like we have a whale stuck in our pool. I feel like I have not heard that one. <laughs> I have. I don't think. It's a sad dream. <laughs> yeah, that would be sad to have a whale trapped in your pool. Because, you know, Free Willy. He needed to be free. He's stuck in the pool. And when he's like trying to call to his family. <laughs> well, I don't have that one. No, <laughs> there's never anything in my pool in my dream. <laughs> just me. I don't really dream about it, but it, it's just so exciting to finally be able to get in it. And the, also the problem is I can't get in it during the week because we still have these workmen all the time in the backyard <laughs> working on the screen porch forever. We're getting there though. I think the screen will be going in soon. I have a feeling. Gotta be getting there. Are you posting pictures on Instagram? No. Okay. <laughs> of the, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I could. We'll see. I posted some at the very beginning of the demo. It still just, you know, has so far to come. Like we finally, we've ordered some furniture and that's going to be like eight weeks. I mean, everything is going to be forever. This is going to be another year long project, just like the bathroom. That's just how long it takes to get things right now to get them in. So, I mean, have you heard about the glass shortage? What? No, we have a paint sample shortage, though. Did you know that? You can't get a paint sample. We went to Lowe's to get a paint sample. They're like, sorry, no, we don't have... We're like, what are you... What? No, no paint samples. Because I'm developing my my supplement right now. And it's really important to me that it's in glass bottles. And apparently there's a glass shortage. I think at first it was just the supplement industry, but now it's like everything. Nothing would surprise me. Yeah. The guy I'm creating it with sent me this link. He's like, you better stock up on wine and water because, because there's this article from about the stores running out of wine because of the glass shortage or alcohol. But we secured like 5,000 glass bottles. So my supplement will be in glass. Yay. Which speaking of, can I make an announcement? Absolutely. So friends, I haven't actually signed the contract yet. We're like final, final stages. We had a call yesterday and now I just have to get my lawyer to look it over one more time and then it should be good to go. So not quite signed, but will be very soon. So if you go to melanieavalon.com slash serapeptase, that's just a landing page to get on an email list. And I'm going to be sending emails about like the pre-order special that I'm going to do and all of the information about the supplement. So for those who are not familiar, Serapeptase is a um, supplement that, well, Jen doesn't take it anymore, but I've taken for a long time and Jen has taken before. And it's created by the Japanese silkworm. You take it in the fasted state. It goes into your bloodstream. It breaks down residual old building up and buildups of proteins. And so it can address anything that is basically happening from your immune system reacting to protein buildups or just protein buildups in general. So that's things like allergies, inflammation, fibroids, brain fog. There are just so many things that it can address. And I'm obsessed with it and listeners are obsessed. And I'm finally developing my own, which is exciting. I've never created a physical product before besides, well, I mean like a book, but I'm excited. Very, very exciting. I can't wait to hear how it goes. Me too. <laughs> It'll probably come out in, oh, this, I just learned a fun fact. Well, this is not a fun fact. This is a known fact, but I hadn't really thought about it. Do you know when fall ends? Like December 20th? Yeah. Isn't that weird to think about? No. Like most people don't think about fall. <laughs> Sorry. I said no. No, that is, I was an elementary teacher. Okay. I know. Okay. But think about it. Like you don't think of like fall being December. You think of that as winter. 
Well, I guess it, it, it's wintery, but like November is still fall. Yeah, but even November feels like winter. I was thinking about this because for the landing page, I was debating whether to put fall or winter 2021. So when's it going to be again? It'll probably be December. So well, that'll be winter. The borderline. Well, no, no, because December 21st is still fall. Well, it, it technically it is. But I mean, I think if it's going to be early December. Like culturally, you consider it winter? Yeah, I think so. In any case. <laughs> Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get 20% off one of my favorite things for truly taking charge of your health, including testing something we talk about all the time, your insulin levels. So to live your healthiest and longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source that would be your body. By using data from your blood, DNA, and fitness trackers, Inside Tracker gives you personalized and science backed recommendations on things that you can take control of to optimize your health. What I love about Inside Tracker is that Inside Tracker tests provide optimal ranges, not conventional ranges, for over 40 biomarkers, including magnesium, vitamin D, testosterone, cortisol, ferritin, which is the storage form of iron that is rare for doctors to test, ApoB, three key female biomarkers, and something I am so excited about, Inside Tracker recently added insulin testing to their ultimate plan. Friends, I am thrilled about this. We talk about insulin all the time on this show. It is so relevant to your metabolic health and your lifespan. In particular, insulin tracking is an early warning sign for several chronic diseases and is a key indicator of energy optimization. It can really let you know if your diet, if your fasting is working for you, you want to test your insulin. It is so hard to get doctors to test insulin, and now you can do it with Inside Tracker. The thing I love most about Inside Tracker is that they have a strict science-backed approach to everything they do. If your specific biomarker level is unoptimized, Inside Tracker actually provides recommendations that are backed by dozens of peer-reviewed studies and personalized to you. This process was set in place by their founders that include experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. And for a limited time, our audience can get 20% off their ultimate plan, which includes testing that insulin when you sign up at insidetracker.com slash ifpodcast. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, then visit insidetracker.com slash ifpodcast. And one of the things I really love about Inside Tracker is it helps you track all of your results, all of your tests over time, so you can see patterns, see your history. It makes predictions of where you'll be if you continue on your current trajectory. It is a game changer for making sense of your labs. I am obsessed with Inside Tracker. Again, you can get 20% off their ultimate plan, including testing your insulin levels at insidetracker.com slash ifpodcast. And we will put all of this information in the show notes. Anything else or shall we jump into everything? All right. Shall we go on to our next question? Yes. All right. So this question comes from Dina. The subject is physical symptoms of fat loss. And Dina says, hello, ladies. Thank you so much for your time and effort. I am trying to catch up on all of the episodes. I've just made it to episode 103. I have heard it mentioned in previous episodes, but not in depth. 
are there physical sensations in the body when we are losing fat? Aches, pains, smells in the urine, sweat, or breath? Or can you feel the fat layer? I believe another listener described it as beads or peas under the skin when pinched. I've experienced aches in my left upper abdomen, cloudy or tinted urine, and ketone taste in the mouth, which I think were physically symptoms of fat loss. I was just curious what other listeners have described as physical manifestations of fat loss. I've been IFing off and on for a year, but consistently for six months. I had to take some time off in the fall after my husband's motorcycle accident. I'm happy to report he is doing great. I even got him to start IF after recovery to help heal scar tissue and improve his inflammation. He was finally able to run up and down stairs, which he hasn't done in 10 months. Yay, I'm so proud of him. I myself am down to 137 pounds from 145 pounds in January. I don't have much weight left to lose. Slow and steady is my approach this time. Thank you so much for your podcast. You ladies are the Scorpio Cancer Power Duo. You're Cancer, Jen. No, I'm actually Leo. I'm on the first day of Leo. I'm right on the cusp. I didn't think you were Cancer. I was like, I don't think that's right. (laughs) I'm Leo and I am so much a Leo. I don't even know much about the signs, but you sound like a Leo. I'm so much a Leo. Like what I think of with Leo, I I think of you. It's true. Yeah, yeah. And I am, I am ridiculously a Scorpio. My husband is a Scorpio. So I, we've got a Scorpio Leo marriage, my husband and I, Chad and I do. So, yeah. Dina says, my Scorpio husband is the soulmate to my cancer heart. The horoscope to clarify. Love, love, love listening to you both. Thanks again for all of your hard work with love, Dina. I don't know if Scorpio Leo is supposed to be a, a soulmate match because... <laughs> It might not be. (laughs) I'm a lot for my Scorpio husband. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) Maybe I should have been born one day sooner than I would have been a Cancer. Yeah. That's crazy that you're right on the the cusp. I think that's the official name for it, cusp. All right. So let's get to Dina's questions. You know, everybody's going to be different with with what they experience. I don't know about aches. I've never heard aches as like really something related to fat loss. I would be concerned about an ache inside your body that you're having all the time. So I don't know about that. Left upper, I don't know what that could be. So if you continue to have pain, check with your doctor about that. Your gallbladder's on the right, right? I was just thinking like what is on your left upper? Your stomach, your small intestines. Oh, I just found the coolest picture ever. The left upper is your spleen, colon, left kidney, pancreas. Is that where your spleen is? According to this picture. Okay. So, and the left lumbar is your descending colon and left kidney. So, yeah, you might want to check with a doctor. Gallbladder's on the right, but okay, I didn't know where the spleen was. I couldn't have answered that for a million dollars. I would have thought the spleen was somewhere else. It's also in the the center top. So it's like the center top to the left. Yeah. So I wouldn't think that aches would be, you know, something to to just let go or assume that it's normal. I would not assume that's normal. As far as that, what you're talking about, that beads or peas under the skin, yes, I actually felt that. What is that? What's happening? I don't know. But that's something that you that you'll you'll feel right under the skin. Like I'll feel it on my abdomen. Like a little it feels like you're rubbing a little something. I don't know what's happening, like I said, but yeah, people have reported it. Smells, you know, yeah, you talked about Dina about 
ketosis, breath, you'll certainly have, you know, different odors in your breath based on that. As far as things coming out in your sweat, your urine, that could also be related to if you're detoxing something, you know, because we know that toxins are stored in our fat cells. And so as you're releasing fat, whatever was in there stashed away, whenever you stored that fat, it's going to come out. And, you know, if you were exposed to something weird during that time, your body packed it away, you might be smelling it as it's coming back out. I did notice when I was in deep ketosis that, you know, my urine would have a certain kind of a a smell to it. That sounds lovely to say, right? (laughs) Let's talk about the way our urine smells. But anyway, it's just something like whenever I would do Atkins, for example, back in the day, you know, I would always try to do Atkins. There was a certain smell that always went along with that after a few days. So TMI. It's funny you say all this. I'm like, I don't even think about it like being TMI at all, but. You know, I'm just so like thinking about this stuff all the time. (laughs) But yes, you'll learn what's normal for you. You know, like you'll say, oh, I always feel this when I'm losing fat. You know, I actually also had itching. We've talked about this, I think, before. Of course, you know, I lost a lot of weight, you know, first 75 pounds, then on to be about 80 over time. But in the areas where I felt like I was deflating the most quickly, that skin would be itchy in that area. Like I can remember my abdomen being so itchy. And, you know, think about a balloon that's been deflated and now it's kind of floppy looking. Your skin is deflating. And and I think that kind of change in your skin can cause itching just from the way your skin is kind of contracting. Interesting. I certainly felt it. I have so many thoughts. I want to say really quickly, Dina, I don't want to like scare you, but the kidney thing... Something that could be, or for just listeners in general, especially from weight loss, maybe would be something like kidney stones. I actually just released last week that we're talking right now, a fascinating episode, fascinating on oxalates with Sally Norton. Blew my mind. Oxalates. Do you know much about oxalates, Jen? No. They're a compound found in plants. They're really high in things like spinach. There's a whole list of them. They're also in my app, Food Sense Guide. If you get that, it has uh, the levels of them in different foods, and that's at melanieavalon.com slash Guide. But basically, they're these compound implants that they form, they're a defense mechanism, and they form basically, they're sort of like crystal shards. And some plants are poisonous because their oxalate content is so high, but the plants that we eat, it's not high enough to outright kill us or anything like that, but they mechanically damage us. Like they scrape up, our insides, they can accumulate in the kidneys and form kidney stones. And they can accumulate over time, especially if you're eating a lot of plants. And after talking with Sally Norton, I don't know, she makes a very convincing argument that they're connected to so, so many health conditions. They also chelate calcium, which can be an issue. If you're on a high oxalate diet, it's definitely something to consider. And a lot of people actually experience oxalate dumping when they go on low carb or carnivore and cut out plants and can experience symptoms from that. So I just thought about that because that episode came up and it could be something going on with kidney stones in your kidneys. But going back to the skin thing, so I was thinking about this and I have a theory about fat loss and the way it feels. And it sort of relates a little bit to what Jen was saying about the skin. So when I interviewed Oh, and by the way, I'll I'll put a link in the show notes to the interview with Sally Norton. And I'll also put a link in the show notes to the interview with Joel Green. He wrote the immunity code and he's the one who talks about the ECM. So 
the extracellular matrix of our fat cells. And he's the one that makes the case that like a fat cell has its ECM, which is like the, the outer barrier, the membrane. When we lose weight, the fat cell needs to shrink because it doesn't have as much fat inside anymore. That membrane, that ECM, it can't just shrink. Like the cell has to actually reform the ECM and make it smaller. It's kind of like if you weigh a certain weight and you have clothes and then you lose weight, your clothes don't just shrink. You have to like take them in or get new clothes. And so the fat cell often prefers to, like it's really energetically expensive to do that process. So the body often prefers to sort of just like fill up the fat cell instead. So instead of readjusting the ECM to a smaller size, just gaining the weight back. The more and more you lose weight and regain weight and lose weight and regain weight, every time you do that, it actually makes the ECM stiffer and stiffer. So it makes the ECM harder and harder to modulate. So that can be a major reason that with yo-yo dieting, it gets harder and harder to lose weight. So my theory about all of this and how I think this might tie into physical symptoms of fat loss, which is the title of her question, is that I know for me, when I first lost my weight with fasting and low carb, it was a very steady progressive weight loss. And I hadn't done a lot of yo-yo dieting before that. So I think my fat cells were, the ECM wasn't as stiff and it was easier to lose the weight. And I also wasn't like subjectively experiencing inflammation. So I didn't like, I just lost the weight and it didn't feel, I didn't notice like the pinchy stuff in my skin. I didn't feel like my fat cells were like filling up with water, which I know is one of the theories. Like I didn't experience any of that. I just like consistently lost weight. I didn't feel anything like weird on the way down. Since then, I, I gained back some weight, not like a, a major amount, but I did gain back some weight and then lost some weight. So basically, just weight fluctuations. And what's really interesting is that second time around, I have experienced all of these things that listeners have talked about, like the beads and the peas and the water. So I think a lot of it is, I know there's not like much research on this, but I really do think that the body, when it's making compensatory actions to weight loss, it does like... I really feel like the cells like fill up with water or I I feel like something's going on (laughs) that you can perceive. So, and then the other thing I was going to say was fat loss. We actually lose it through our breath primarily. It's actually mostly lost through carbon dioxide. So things that are coming out in like your urine, that's probably going to be more what Jen said, like toxins. And it's not really anything from your actual fat because the fat actually just becomes energy and the byproducts get excreted as carbon dioxide. I agree with everything Jen said about like the breath and ketones and all of that. That's a very long answer. Do you have thoughts, Jen? Nope. I think we covered it. We're very happy, Dina, for your husband for recovering from his motorcycle accident. I remember when my sister, I think I've said this before, but my sister got a motorcycle license and then she bought a motorcycle and my parents just freaked out and (laughs) she sold it. Those are dangerous. Have you ever driven on a motorcycle? I've ridden on one. I've never driven it myself, but yeah, I didn't like the feeling at all. Yeah, I would be very nervous. So I remember one time in college, I was somewhere trapped, you know, and I was like, I got to get a ride back to campus. And this guy's like, I'll take you. And I'm like, oh, great. Thank you. And I had to ride on his motorcycle. (laughs) Oh, 
was, I was like, I thought I was going to die. I think I have. But the memory I have was when I was really young in Germany and my uncle rode a motorcycle. And I can't actually remember if I actually rode on it or if I just said no and thought about what it would have been like to be on it. Either way, I don't have like, it makes me scared. <laughs> so I remember my sister. It doesn't feel safe. Oh, you know what? That's so funny. My sister, who was even way younger than me at the time, she was like all for it. And like, right, that makes sense. <laughs> she was like riding with him like everywhere. So shall we go on to our next question? Yes. This is from Juliana and the subject is not losing weight. She says, hi, ladies. Thank you so much for this podcast. I have been doing IF for five weeks. I do something between 19.5 to 21.3, depending on the day. Most of the time, it's a snack and a meal in the evening. I also run slash walk for about 30 minutes in the morning, interval running, five days a week, and do strength training 30 minutes, three days a week. My fast is clean, just black coffee and water. I do not count calories and try to eat as clean as possible, but I am not denying myself of anything. I may eat a sugary treat, ice cream or cookies, etc. about two times a week. I do not count macros and rarely eat junk. This past five weeks, I've been losing and gaining the same four pounds, but I have lost three inches between my waist, my hip, and my abdomen after the second week. My clothes are not fitting differently. I need slash want to lose at least 50 pounds, current weight 201. I am five feet, five inches tall and 44 years old. I have a condition named torturous colon. Have you ever heard of that, Melanie? I haven't. Me neither, which she explained as longer than normal intestines that causes a lot of constipation even when taking a lot of fiber supplements at the end of my eating window. Any help, suggestions, and advice on what I can do to lose weight? I am so frustrated and feeling very defeated. Thank you. All right, Juliana. Thank you so much for your question. Oh my goodness, I have so many thoughts about this question. So first of all, yeah, I can't believe it's called torturous colon. What a... (laughs) What an awful name. So I hear you and I empathize with you incredibly with bowel movement struggles. Trust me, I know how awful that is. I want to say, first of all, when I first started experiencing constipation, which was in 2014 or so, the first thing I started doing was like all the fiber and all of that stuff. That works for some people. I would highly suggest trying something different, which is a lower fiber approach. If you're in a situation where you're really constipated and the fiber is not working for you, it really, for a lot of people, just adds, it it basically just adds to the stuff that has to be moving through and can make things much, much worse. The carnivore people like to cite this one study as evidence that removing fiber gets rid of constipation, which it's a very convincing study. The reason I'm hesitant about it is it's basically the only study on the topic and it's very, very small. That said, it's very, very convincing. And it's basically, they took people with constipation and put them on a zero fiber diet. Every single person's constipation resolved, which is very telling. Again, it was a very small study and there haven't been more studies on it, especially just like looking in the, like the carnivore Facebook groups and things like that, most people seem to experience resolution of constipation if it's something they've been struggling with. So I'm not saying you have to go carnivore or cut out all plants, but I'm saying I would highly suggest trying a low fiber approach, especially low FODMAP fiber 
options can often work really, really well for people. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that study. As far as the weight loss, I have exciting, wonderful news for you. I know you're really frustrated because she said, I'm feeling very frustrated (laughs) and defeated. It would be very frustrating and defeated if you hadn't actually tried a lot of the things that can really, really work for weight loss, but you haven't. So that means there's so, so much potential to lose weight. And that is basically focusing on the food options. So I know that you eat as clean as possible, which is amazing. I love that. But you haven't ever tried playing around with your macros. If you've never played around with your macros, there is massive potential here for losing weight. I mean, if you've never done it before, potentially pretty fast, like to see it change once you find the macros that work for you. So, and the more I talk about this, Jen, I really feel like I need to write this book about like, there's still not a book that talks about how you can do either low carb, high fat or high fat, low carb. All the books are like either a low carb book or they're like a, a plant-based, you know, vegan book. There's no one where it's like, Hey, you can do either just not at the same time. You can do them at the same time. I mean, literally at the same time. You can't have like, I did. I had high fat and high carb. I'm telling you, when I lost my weight, I didn't restrict carbs or fat. I'm telling you, you can lose weight all the weight you want. <laughs> but that's not the thesis of my book. Like The thesis of my book is picking high fat, low carb, or low carb, high fat, just not in the same day. Well, but what I'm saying is, you, you, I, I thought you just said that you can't combine them and find it to work, because I did. Well, my thesis would be, you can combine them on different days. So like you could do high fat, low carb one day and the next day, low carb, high fat. But my point being that not everyone needs to do either of those. Right. This is not the book that I'm trying to. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You're trying to encourage people to try one of these two things, but not saying, you're not saying the only way you're going to lose, the only way you're going to lose weight is if you pick this or that. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you clarified. I thought you were saying that you can either choose low-fat, high-carb, or what did I say? High-fat, low-carb. Either of those is the, are the only two ways you could lose weight. Pick one of those. Oh, no, no, no. Excellent clarification. No, what I was saying is usually the books are either low-carb books or they're plant-based, low-fat books. And so I want to do one that says you can pick either one. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I do think either would be very healthy. I mean, I do think there there's science supporting both of them, both sides, depending on your body, right? You know, my body doesn't do well with the higher fat. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's really a matter of finding, you know, if one of those approaches works, finding the one that works for you. And the reason I think that they're both so magical <laughs> is that they they set up the body to be in a state where it's easy to lose fat and or pretty difficult to gain fat. So if you're doing low carb, high fat, and the high doesn't have to be high. It could really just be low carb. If you have weight to lose, it could just be low carb. You don't have to go crazy on the fats. You know, that's going to lower insulin. It's going to really put you in a fat burning mode and make it most likely easier to lose weight. And then on the flip side, if you try high carb, low fat, if you're not taking in many fats, there's not really much of the potential to gain weight from that. And then, especially if you're combining it with IF, and then on top of that, with the fasting, then while fasting, you are likely tapping into the fat. So it's the situation where you tap into fat during the fast, and then while eating, it's unlikely that you're actually going to store fat from your meal. 
So they're kind of, they're like different situations, but they both work by really some metabolic magic that it's a tweak that I think goes beyond calories and stuff like that. The importance on it though, in my opinion, is the low. So actually low fat or actually low carb, not not just like sort of low fat or sort of low carb, like actually. So normally that's like 10% of calories from whatever thing it may be. So, and if you really want to um, hack the low carb one, this is my little hack. You can make any added fat sources be MCT oil, the C8 version only, and that actually will ramp up metabolism, can encourage more fat burning in your eating window, to clarify. So that can be a great hack as well. And focusing on protein. So always having adequate protein because excess protein doesn't really become fat. Like it, it actually preferentially becomes muscle or the amino acids tend to just be burned. So thoughts, Jen? And I've got some things to add to Juliana that I think are super duper important. First of all, she's only been doing intermittent fasting for five weeks. So for anybody who's read Fast, Feast, Repeat or heard me talk about it, I've got the 28-day fast start in there, and that's four weeks. And I tell you not to expect any weight loss at all in your first four weeks because that's the time for your body to be adjusting to intermittent fasting. So after your first four weeks on day 29, that's when you can start figuring out what your weight is doing. But that is your baseline. Whatever your weight is on day 29 is your baseline. This is all explained in the 28-day fast start chapter, by the way. So if we had that information from Juliana, that would be better. Like what was what was her weight on day 29? And then she's only one week past that. So she only has one week of trend to see what's happening. So, you know, there are a lot of ways. You know, I always talk about weighing daily and calculating your weekly average. I did it like paper, pencil. I calculated my average because I could see it. But there are apps that actually show you your trend. Happy Scale is my favorite. It's iOS only. So if you are using Happy Scale, it'll show you what your trend is doing. If it's slightly trending downward or if you're staying the same or if it's trending upward. That's so much better than just weighing every day and just looking at the fluctuations. Because Juliana said she's losing and gaining the same four pounds. But really, we fluctuate within a range. So it's very, very possible that... You know, again, ignore those first 28 days. You know, maybe your weight in this past week of your fifth week has actually trended down and it's hiding in the fluctuations. And I also think it's so important that she's lost three inches between her waist, her hip, and her abdomen after the second week. So, I mean, you are losing something. If your measurements are going down, forget about your clothes because, you know, I talk about in Fast Feast Repeat and Delay Don't Deny about something called honesty pants. And we all probably have at least one pair of pants like that, or maybe it's shorts. For me, it's a skort that fits really snug, and it doesn't have any stretch in it. But when I was gaining weight back in the day, when I was 210 pounds, all my clothes were dishonesty clothes. I mean, I could gain or lose probably 20 pounds, and they would still stretch on fitting me. So you can't necessarily say, well, my pants all still fit the same because they might be super stretchy, like mine always were when I was, you know, at, at my higher weights. So, you know, it, it was a long time before I noticed a difference in my clothes. So you can't go by that unless they are really, you know, snug fitting with no stretch. Honesty pants, get some. That's really important. Photos are so important. Put on an outfit. 
maybe like, you know, those black biker shorts or something, you know, the tight ones and a sports bra and take pictures from different angles, frontwards, facing sideways, take those pictures and then repeat them every week or two and compare them. We're in the same exact outfit. Also, with the amount of exercise Juliana is doing, the scale is likely to be the least useful tool. If you're doing interval running five days a week for 30 minutes, strength training three days a week, expect to see changes in your body before the scale. I mean, eventually the scale is going to go down if you're losing fat, but it's not going to be dramatic with all that that muscle building stuff going on. It's not the time for panic. Five weeks in, I would not be freaking out at all. And you're because you're only one week past your adjustment period. And I also want to say that is just a rough rule of thumb the 28 days. Maybe five weeks is your body's adjustment period. Your body might need eight weeks. It just depends on your metabolic and hormonal health. The longer you've been overweight, the more likely it's to take you longer to adjust. Yeah, that was excellent. Well, thank you. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get my favorite electrolytes for free, plus special announcement, Element's new chocolate medley is here. So when you think electrolytes, you might think summer and hot times and needing to stay hydrated. But did you know that hydration is actually super important in cold weather as well? There's an idea out there that cold weather reduces our hydration needs. That's not true. So in the cold, Two main things can actually increase our metabolic rate. You may be working harder, tramping through the snow, and you can be wearing cumbersome winter clothing that can actually raise your energy needs by 10 to 20%. And as your metabolic rate raises, your sweat rate raises, and you need to replace those fluids with electrolytes. You also lose more water when it's cold through your breath. That's because cold temperatures contain significantly less water than hot temperatures, aka it's drier outside. When you breathe in that cold, dry air, your respiratory system actually acts like a humidifier so that your body can be warm and humid like it likes to be. Of course, that drains your hydration reserves as well. One study actually found that respiratory water loss after a full day of activity nearly doubled at freezing temperatures compared to the 70s. On top of that, when you're cold, you actually become less thirsty, possibly from blood vessel constrictions in the cold, which can trick the body into thinking the blood volume is higher than it is. In other words, it's cold out there. You probably need hydration. And electrolytes are so key for all of these cellular processes in your body, all of your energy production. It all requires electrolytes, but it can be hard to find electrolytes, which are clean, without unnecessary fillers, and which you can feel good about drinking. That's why I love Element. There's a reason I'm obsessed with it. There's a reason all you guys are as well. And like I said, I'm so excited because Element's new chocolate medley is here featuring chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. And this is a limited time, so you definitely want to stock up on these now. Plus, you can get a free gift with purchase when you purchase that chocolate medley or other Element electrolytes. That's right, you can get a free sample pack, eight single serving packets for free with any Element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. You can get yours at drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. That's drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. By the way, those chocolates in that chocolate medley make delicious hot chocolates. And of course, as always, Element has a no questions asked refund, so you have nothing to lose. So go to drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast to get your free electrolytes. All right, shall we go on to our next question? 
Yes. All right. So this question comes from Sarah. The subject is when you have a cold and Sarah says, hello, I've been doing IF for three months and feeling like it will definitely be a permanent lifestyle, losing weight and feeling great. I just discovered the podcast and have started back at the beginning episode. I'm up to number 25. I have two questions. Okay. So number one, how do you handle things like colds, flu, et cetera? I often drink tea with honey and lemon when I have a cold. Should slash could people go off IF when they have a situation like this? So we can go ahead and answer that one. We've actually answered this one quite a few times on the show. Well, you know, when you're sick, I really want you to listen to your body because really sometimes your body will guide you to fast more. That'll be what feels right. And sometimes your body will guide you to to eat and do what feels right what you feel like will make you feel better. You know, as far as honey and lemon, obviously that's not going to be part of a clean fast. That wouldn't be fasting. But sometimes we set fasting aside. You know, if I had a terrible sore throat and I didn't feel good and I felt like drinking some orange juice would make me feel better, I would drink it. I would just open my window. I would have that. And I wouldn't sweat it or stress about it because, you know, the time to be worrying about losing weight is not while you're sick. Your body's working on healing, getting rid of whatever that is. So listen to your body. Set fasting aside if you need to. You'll come back right back to it when you're feeling better. Fast if it feels good. Yes. I do think our bodies are pretty intuitive when it comes to our hunger when we are have a cold, especially in regards to um, if it's a virus or a bacteria. It actually affects there, – there's really interesting studies. It affects our hunger because of how the um, immune system deals with it. Yeah, I talked about that in Fast, Feast, Repeat. It's in a frequently asked question. I talked about a study about that. Anyway, so yes, listen to your body again. All right, ready for question two? Yes. Question two, how do you handle events that occurred during your window that aren't going to have foods you want to eat? Maybe you arrive and discover the food isn't window worthy or other surprising situations out of your control. Do you just keep fasting? Please talk about navigating these types of situations. Thank you. Well, there's no one answer that's going to cover all of those situations, but I just think about, you know, what time is it? What's going to happen later? Let's say it's early in the day. Let's say it's a lunch event and I go and I discover the food is not window worthy. I'm not going to eat. I'm going to keep fasting. If it's a lunch, I don't normally eat lunch. Of course, we know that. So, but let's say it's a lunch event and I get there and the food is window worthy. I would go ahead and eat. But now let's say it's time for my eating window. And maybe it's like, maybe I decided to wait till I got there to open my window. And now it's 6 p.m. and I show up at this event and the food is disappointing and it's 6 p.m. Well, how long am I going to be there? If it's only a short period of time and I can go home and eat something that I love, I will keep fasting till I can get home and eat. But if I'm not going to be home till like 9 p.m., I'm not going to fast till 9 p.m. I'll make the best of what's there. And I'll, I mean, I can always make the best of it. So, or if I really thought the food wasn't going to be good, I would eat before I went. If it was during my window, I would just make a plan for that. So there's really no one way to to handle it. I mean, if I showed up somewhere and and it was 6 p.m. and I was going to be there till 10 p.m. and the food was something I don't eat, okay, I wouldn't eat it. Like if it was fried fish or something. I mean, I don't like fish and I don't, certainly wouldn't be eating fried fish because, that would, uh, you know, no. I would just be like, okay, I'll just wait and I would eat. I'd make the best of eating later. But that's going to be very unusual. I can usually find something that I can eat anywhere. What do you say about that, Melanie? 
I guess it really depends on what your normal eating window is because like this would be more of something, a challenge for you, Jen, because your eating window is earlier. So it does naturally fall. Like for you, it would be really inconvenient to eat late, you know, but for me, I'm always eating late. So it actually doesn't really ever affect me because I always am eating right before I go to bed anyways. And, you know, sometimes the food is disappointing, but I mean, there's always going to be tomorrow. So if you go somewhere and the food is not like, like, oh my gosh, this is the best food I've ever had. Like, like we had to go to, when I was with my family at the beach, we went to a buffet. Uh, Yeah, it's not my favorite going to a buffet, but they had crab legs on the buffet. I do like crab legs. And I ate a little bit of anything that looked good. It was probably my least favorite meal the whole time I was there. And I knew it. I'm never excited about a buffet. But I was eating with my family. We were all there. And tomorrow is a new day to eat something that's more delicious. You know what I'm saying? I didn't stress over it. I would have preferred a different meal, but this is what my family wanted to eat. And and I just rolled with it. I didn't sit there and not eat. You know, I just I just ate it. And I enjoyed it. But it the food I had the next day was better. And that's okay. Oh, and I, I'm glad you said that. Like, so to clarify, so when I go out, to eat dinner, for example, and it's earlier, so it's not when I would have been eating. If it's a situation where I'm, you know, getting dinner at a restaurant with people, then I 100% get dinner. I usually end up eating more as well after because it's not usually enough food in one meal at dinner for me. One thing though, I would encourage you, it also depends like how foods affect you. So some people, you know, can handle lots of foods and they won't experience too many negative side effects. I'm very jealous of Jen and her digestion and her (laughs) and everything. But for me, like I respond pretty intensely if I don't eat within certain types of foods that really work well with my body. So I don't feel any pressure if I go to something and it's food that I know won't make me feel well. I don't like it does not phase me. I don't feel any pressure to eat it. It doesn't like stress me out. I usually if it's that situation, I usually will just keep fasting and eat afterwards. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't eat food that would make me feel really bad, but... Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's easier because I feel like the two main types of situations with food is like an event where the food is the event. So a restaurant or something. And in that case, I'm just thinking about this because in that case, I usually can always make something work at a restaurant. Me too. Yeah. I usually can. I can't think of any situation where I wouldn't be able to, honestly. I'm thinking of like, you know, even if it was like like IHOP or something, I could probably still, you know, I would be I would have to have crazy like tweaks to the menu and ask for things. But in general, restaurants can be, you can usually find something that works. The other situation would be where it's like an event and there's food out. And those types of situations, it's usually a situation where the food is not the main event and you you know you don't necessarily have to be eating so those types of situations i like to just keep fasting but i realize some people it might fall right in their window when they're supposed to be eating so jen if you were at a event that was when you would typically be eating but it wasn't a dinner but it like there was like what what is it hors d'oeuvres hors d'oeuvres and appetizers and you knew you were going to be getting home late but there wasn't really food that you wanted so would you just like munch what would you do well, usually when there's hors d'oeuvres, there's going to be something that I want. Like there's usually like cheese and crackers. I like that. Or like maybe shrimp over there or something. You know, 
I, I like, even though I don't like fish, I do like, you know, like shrimp with cocktail sauce or something like that. So again, I can usually find something. Now, if I, if it was just light hors d'oeuvres, something like that, I would probably go home and eat something else, like maybe have an egg sandwich or something. I love an egg sandwich. Yeah, I can eat that late in, later at night and be fine. Wait, so an egg sandwich, that's what, bread and eggs? Scrambled eggs. Yeah. Oh, so good. With a little mayonnaise. Delicious. That is so interesting. I don't think I've had that before. Oh, we all love egg sandwiches around here. Yep. Scrambled. I make great scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs on bread with a little mayonnaise. So good. Oh, I have one one little thought that maybe you were talking about the fish. I am almost done with Tim Spector's book. What's the one I'm reading? You were reading Spoon Fed? Yeah. Do you remember the chapter? And I already knew about this, but every time I read more about it, I'm just perpetually shocked by it, about the the fraud in the seafood industry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Friends, it is shocking. It is like, so there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the, the food industry. And I'm often saying it's shocking. I feel like this is like up there for, out of all the stuff that goes down in the food industry, like top three for shocking stuff. Basically, there's just lies. They've done so many tests and I've been taking a lot of notes and I'm really excited to interview him, but they do tests. And like, I think he said like 50% of the raw seafood in LA is not what it says it is. They did a test in DC and it was food in restaurants and stores. And it was like 25% was not what it said it was. This is on the shelves and in restaurants. And they said it's usually worse in restaurants. So the fish you might be eating might not be what it says on the menu. And the restaurant doesn't always know. Because they bought it thinking it, they were told what it was and it's not that. Yeah, this is one one time I'm not sad that I don't like fish. The species that are often subbed out, they'll use tilapia. They'll use apparently some sort of catfish from China. There's a few other ones. And... Yeah, it just makes me really scared. I mean, I eat so much fish, but I only eat brands that I trust and I shop at Whole Foods. And until now, I mean, right now I still I still trust their system. So would you eat fish at a restaurant now? Well, the thing is, I only eat a very limited species because of the mercury content. And I'll put a link in the show notes. I have a blog post on the mercury content and a little bit more about all of this. And I have a blog post on the fish fraud. It's in my butcher box post. So I'll put links to both of those. I really only eat tilapia, but I wouldn't want to get that at a restaurant because I really, really want to know the source of it. So I eat salmon. So I might eat salmon at a restaurant. And then I eat like shrimp and scallops. So I could eat that. But it's crazy. It really, really is. It it really is. The, the amount of fraud out there is crazy. Yeah, it makes me really, really nervous. Which is another reason I wanted to develop my own supplement because there's, we talked about this before, but there's a lot of sketchy stuff in that industry as well. So in any case, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. Or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 227. You can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon. Jen is Jen Stevens. I think that is all of the things. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful and I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.